0: This is Marathon Training Academy, episode 426.
1: Thanks to Prevenex, makers of Joint Health Plus, for sponsoring this episode. The main active ingredients are clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, and improve joint flexibility in just 7 to 10 days. Save 15% by visiting Prevenex.com and using the code MTA.
0: Thanks also to UCAN for sponsoring this episode. UCAN is offering our community an exclusive chance to try six edge gels for free. All you pay is the cost of shipping. So head over to UCAN.co slash MTA. You can get this offer. That's UCAN.co slash MTA. Hello and welcome to the Marathon Training Academy podcast where we inspire and empower you to run a marathon and change your life. I'm Trevor.
1: And I'm Angie.
0: In this episode, we share the recording from my live interview at the Boulder Marathon with Scott Jurek, famous ultra marathoner and New York Times bestselling author. And don't forget, as a member of the Academy, you get access to all of our back podcast episodes, training plans, and more. Find out how to join when you visit marathontrainingacademy.com. All right. Well, it was a huge weekend. We just got through with the uh, Chicago Marathon. We had tons of listeners and clients and members who were there uh, and ran Chicago. So it was a historic year at Chicago. So what all happened?
1: Well, uh, Chicago proved to be the fastest marathon course in the world. The weather came together. It wasn't a super hot year like it is many times. And the first place male was Kelvin Kiptum of Kenya. He came in with a time of 2 hours and 35 seconds, setting a new world record.
0: Was that even, like, predicted to happen?
1: I don't think a new world record was predicted, um, but he is a top marathoner and has been really producing some great times. So it definitely wasn't outside the realm of possibility.
0: So previously, the world record was set by Eliab Kipchoge last year at Berlin, and it was two o one o nine. And, of course, you probably know that Kipchoge has run sub two during that Nike project, but that didn't count because the course wasn't certified and he had all kinds of, you know, assistance like pacers and, and whatnot. So along comes this dude Kiptum, and he brings it down. I mean, he's...
1: Commandingly. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the record will only drop by a few seconds at a time, but this was like, boom, we are under 201.
0: Yeah, we were only 35 seconds away from a sub-two-hour marathon on a certified course.
1: Yeah, he was nearly three and a half minutes ahead of the second-place guy. So, And it was also a great day for the women. First-place woman was Safan Hassan of the Netherlands. She set a Chicago course record of two hours, 13 minutes, and 44 seconds. And she had a two-minute lead over the second-place Ruth Chepngetich. So it was a great day all around. Um, Des Linden set an American Masters Marathon record by running 227.35. She broke Dina Castor's record by 12 seconds. And then, also very cool, two 75-year-olds set Masters records in the 75-79 to age group. Jeannie Rice finished in 334.32, and Jean Dykes finished in (laughs) 317.01.
0: Imagine that, being uh, over 75 years old and running 317.01.
1: That is amazing.
0: Great to hear Gene Dykes is is still out there kicking butt. I got to stay at his house actually and have him on the podcast back in 2019. Congrats to one of the coaches on our team, Coach Kristen. We call her Coach Chris, and she finished Chicago in 309 stellar time.
1: That's right. We had some clients and group members who also finished Chicago This comes from a member named Chim. He says, I completed the Chicago Marathon, my first world major marathon, and my first Abbott Age Group World Championship, proudly representing Cambodia.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. Um, I don't think I even realized that he was from Cambodia until he posted that. And then I I went and checked, and we've got members from 18 different countries um, right now.
1: That's awesome. So
0: congrats, Chim, on uh, getting your first world marathon major done.
1: This comes from Sarah. She says, I completed my first marathon at Chicago. I was just behind Kelvin Kipton by 4.5 hours. <laughs> <laughs> what a day. The crowd support is epic. It was a riot. The first 13 miles were a pleasure, and then the pain started. She says, The last six miles were very hard, but I think everyone already knows that. I'm pleased and proud. Thank you so much, MTA Coach Cindy. I had a shaky last few weeks of training, but I got the job done. My first marathon at 50 years old. My best years are ahead of me.
0: Love it. Congrats on conquering your first marathon, Sarah.
1: This email says, Hi, my name is Emily, and I've been working with MTA Coach Abby in preparation for the Chicago Marathon. I was able to beat my goal in Chicago with a finishing time of 3.26.44. I am so thankful to Coach Abby and the MTA community that helped me reach my goal and PR by 17 minutes. And this comes from Irina. She says, hi, I'm writing to share my experience at the Chicago Marathon. I was coached by the awesome MTA coach, Cindy, and I got a 42-minute PR. She's got lots of exclamation marks there. I've been a dedicated listener to your podcast ever since I started running three years ago when I was 35. My previous four marathons were not too shabby for someone with zero athletic experience with a PR of 443. But listening to everyone's journeys, I've had a desire to improve and push myself further. So I reached out to MTA and they paired me up with the incredible coach, Cindy. Her training plan was a game changer. I had a real technical race strategy laid out for the first time ever. I finished the marathon in four hours, one minute and 25 seconds. I hope my 42 minute PR story brings a smile to your faces and maybe even inspires you to chase after your own running dreams. Keep pushing, my friends, and remember the finish line is always waiting for us with open arms. We'd also like to say congratulations to coaching client Bill. He works with um, MTA coach Steve and we've had him on the podcast before he was also a participant um, in the Abbott age group world championship um, in Chicago and he finished with a time of three hundred four fifty-three, which is amazing sounds like he executed his race perfectly and didn't leave anything on the table so we're really proud of him
0: yeah when I last talked to him he said he wanted to go sub 305 so sounds like he hit that goal that's
1: right nailed it
0: also, congrats to Angela, who I got to meet at the Boulderthon.
1: Yeah, she says, I had an awesome time at the Boulderthon. I ran a great race and just had an amazing experience the whole weekend with all the events they had, including seeing a fun live podcast with Trevor and Scott. Thanks to Trevor and Angie for the inspiring podcast that got me through my training runs, as they always do, and Coach Nicole for her help.
0: Yeah, uh, she was dealing with some injury and it was kind of iffy on if she was going to go.
1: Glad she had a good experience since we, you know, encouraged her <laughs> to go through with it if she felt yeah. good. Definitely. We also had another member named Erin who was at the Boulderthon, and she says, I did it. I have nothing to compare this to since it was my first marathon, but the hills and heat in the second half were intense for me. My calf started cramping and I had to do some hill walking, but I'm very proud to be done and ended up finishing in four hours and 33 minutes.
0: Yeah, so huge weekend. There's a lot more shout outs that we can give, but (laughs) we don't want to take up too much time on this episode. We're going to jump into our live recording with Scott Jurek. Since most of you weren't able to be at this event, we want to bring it to you.
1: I wasn't able to be there, so (laughs) bring it to me too.
0: (laughs) Angie, I appreciate you staying back and holding the fort with the kids. Would have been nice to have you. Uh, Boulder, Colorado is amazing. Have you ever been there?
1: No, I don't think so. I've been to Colorado Springs, Denver, yeah, that area, but never Boulder.
0: Yeah, I think I only had driven through there before, uh, but now having spent some time there, I can see why there are so many trail runners that live in Boulder. It's definitely an outdoor lover's paradise. It was a great trip. I got some hiking, ran a half marathon, met with listeners, interviewed Scott, um, played disc golf, ate a lot of Mexican food.
1: <laughs> you are living your best life.
0: <laughs> I was. The whole city is surrounded by nature preserves and trails and public spaces. Definitely one of those places that you go and you're like, I could live here.
1: <laughs> Until winter hits and you're like, wow, there's a lot of snow.
0: <laughs> so the race expo was right there, downtown Boulder. There's the Pearl Street Mall, which is this kind of outdoor pedestrian zone that goes for several blocks. And yeah, the, the race is just well organized. I just want to say a big word of thanks to Ali Armstrong, a listener to the podcast who works for BoulderThon and introduced us to the race. And also big thanks to the race director and founder, Phil Dumonte. He's actually a local uh, entrepreneur, restaurateur, and and runner who had a vision for bringing this race to fruition.
1: That's awesome.
0: So this year it took place October 8th. Uh, Next year it will actually be on Labor Day. Hey, and by the way, if you want to meet up at another race this year, come to the Richmond Marathon in Richmond, Virginia. Quick blurb here about this year's Richmond Marathon. This will be my third year going. Uh, It's so much fun. Of course, they have full marathon and a half, and they also have an 8K. It's November 11th this year, and there'll be an MTA meetup after the race. We figured out that it's better to do our pub meetups after the marathon than before.
1: (laughs) People a little more relaxed, are you saying?
0: (laughs) So Richmond does a great job making everyone feel welcome. They've got awesome course support, finisher swag, great fall scenery. Yeah, so if you want to register, go to richmondmarathon.org. There's still time. Let me know if you're going to be there. richmondmarathon.org.
1: So, Trevor, since I wasn't able to be there, kind of set the scene for me and our listeners. Tell us what it was like to hang out in person with Scott Jurek.
0: He is a super cool guy, and he is a walking science textbook on all things running. He's also a physical therapist, so, I mean, he knows his stuff. And then after the session was over, we got down off the stage, and he just hung out with people and talked to people and took pictures with them. And then later that night, there was kind of a private pasta dinner that I was invited to. He was there and his wife, Jenny, I got to meet her and we got to talk and visit even more. So a little bit about Scott Jurek. He is one of the most famous ultra runners. He's won the Western States 100 miler seven times, seven times in a row, in fact. He also has won Hard Rock and Badwater. And the Spartathlon, which is a 153-mile race from Athens to Sparta, I think he won that three times. Just amazing. He's also a New York Times best-selling author of the book Eat and Run, and also the book North, which he co-wrote with his wife. So here is my live podcast session at the Boulderthon with Scott Jurek. All right, hey hey, we are at the Boulderthon Race Expo, we're about to start, and I am joined here by the uh, race director and founder of Boulderthon, Phil Dumonte. So this is the third year of Boulderthon and what gave you the inspiration to start this race uh, three years ago? I'm a runner myself, and uh, when I moved here in 2017, there was no uh, Boulder Marathon downtown. Uh, A lot of trail runs, a lot of great races, Uh, but this came to me as a runner, uh, having run 16 marathons. So I started applying for permits and brought the race to life uh, in 2021. All right, and this year we have folks from all 50 states and how many countries? 18 countries here. 18 countries, and give us an idea of the growth of this event since you started it. So we started with 1,600 runners in 2021 and doubled to 3,300 last year. And we are at about 6,500, uh, this year. Um, so we've been doubling each year, um, and really grateful to have such a beautiful backdrop here and weather to keep bringing runners too. So fantastic. Super grateful for you, Phil, and all Thanks, that uh, your team has done here, pulling together this race. Good luck to everyone out there running tomorrow too. Thank, you. It, Thank you. All right. Well, this is a live podcast and we have. Today, a very special guest, Scott Jurek. He's a Boulder local, and he's the ultra running legend. When I got into running uh, back in the day, I heard about ultra marathons, and it was mind-blowing that anybody could run that far. And as soon as you hear about ultra marathons, you're going to hear about Scott Jurek. He has won the Western States 100 Miler seven times, seven times in a row. He's won various races just all over the world: the Spartathlon, the Badwater 135, and uh, he's running uh, the 5K tomorrow with his kids. Woo! I'm sure I missed a lot of uh, a lot of your resume, but I got the important thing: the, the 5K tomorrow. That's it. Yeah, the 5K tomorrow with the kids. That's uh, that's definitely going to be resume boosting for sure. That's right. So let's uh, let's start with this. How do you deal with race day nerves? I know it's a natural to feel nervous on race day, especially if you're doing, you know, a new distance. Do you have any kind of rituals or mindset that you like to get in to handle those race day nerves?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's perfectly fine. And I think if you're nervous tomorrow, that's a good thing. And so what I try to do is accept that um, don't overdwell on it. Get caught up in like oh gosh i don't know if my training's been going well i've got this you know little injury that's popped up literally a couple days ago sometimes i call them like the phantom race injuries that just seem to pop out of nowhere a couple days before the race so a lot of those um, emotions and thoughts can be circling in your mind and i think the biggest thing is just to be like it's okay to be nervous i try to funnel that nervousness into excitement and get psyched about the race versus thinking oh gosh, did my training go well? Oh, I didn't really do that great you know, 22-miler I was hoping for. I only got 18 in. Or you know, those kind of things can go through the mind. And I really try to think about all the training runs that did go well. So for me, getting ready for a 100-mile race, it's like super daunting. And you think, oh, there's so many things that can go wrong. Most important thing, I think, is I try to think about those workouts where everything clicked. I felt like a million bucks out there. And that's what i try to focus on so those of you who think oh my training wasn't perfect don't think about that don't think about the stuff you didn't do or could have done better think about those days that you felt amazing think about those runs where just everything flowed and lock into that mindset and remember how that felt and then do the things that you did in that run like maybe something went wrong but you turned it around and so i think drawing on previous experience and you have those Especially for first timers, you've had experience, whether you think that you haven't or not. I remember some people just doing marathons on a whim, like literally had not run a step before and just showing up in a marathon back in the nineties. The I'm dating myself now, but people used to do that stuff and it's totally fine. So I think that's what I really try to focus on is the stuff that went well and try to lock into that mindset. People
0: that do it that way, they're typically called one-time marathoners.
2: <laughs> Sometimes they come back. <laughs>
0: And you were talking about maybe your training has been less than ideal. I don't think that's the case for these folks out here. I think your training has gone perfectly, right? I can just tell <laughs> these runners are on top of things. We are going to have um, sort of an open mic here in a little while. And if you want to ask any questions uh, for Scott, our, our special guest here, Scott Jurek, seven-time winner of the uh, Western States Endurance Run, 100-miler. You don't have to run that far tomorrow, thank God, right? So the marathon is a challenging distance it's a beast it's different beast than the half tomorrow there's gonna to be some hills do you have any tips or, or mindset for running uh, on a hilly course I know those hills can kind
2: of drag on forever sometimes Well, I can say this because I live in Colorado here. This is my hometown now for 13 years, and the race course is hilly, but those of you coming from the East Coast, as we like to say, the Beast Coast, um, and I'm a Midwesterner. I'm from Minnesota, so um, I have utmost respect for the folks coming from the East Coast, the Midwest. How many Midwesterners do we have? we have any Nebraskans, Iowans, Minnesotans? Yeah. All right. Love it. Yeah, I think that the biggest thing here in Colorado is the hills aren't like those steep, abrupt hills that you have in the Midwest, the East Coast, Um, sometimes even in the South, um, you'll have that kind of rolling terrain. Here they just kind of like gradually sneak up on you. And those of you coming from other places might actually have an advantage because you're used to those hills like coming at you and just really kicking you down when you don't really feel it. You might just be like, "Ah, this course isn't that hilly. So I think the biggest thing is locking into that mode where you're not gonna just have a short hill, it's gonna be a grinder. So I would try to think about locking into that gear that you settle into a pace, that zone of whether you get into the science aspect of of training, but lactate threshold slightly below, and just kind of be there. Don't get into this mode of like, I gotta hammer out the hill. Because most likely on this course, that hill's going to last for a minute, two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, five minutes. Um, and we got one here at the end for you. I think Phil was calling it the Mapleton Mile. Um, and unfortunately, it comes at the end where it's just this gradual hill, and we get kind of used to running it around here. But again, draw on like that mode of just, okay, I've got to lock in not just for a minute here. It's going to be several minutes.
0: Good stuff. Yeah.
2: Find a good mantra
0: to repeat. Like, I eat hills like candy. Uh, I think the elevation is a struggle for a lot of runners. If you came from out of state, I know myself included. Um, so any thoughts on dealing with
2: the elevation tomorrow? One of the first things I think for elevation, and a lot of people say, oh, it's only 5,000, 5,200 feet, 5,300 feet here in Boulder. But when you're coming from lower elevation, the biggest thing is you don't want to mess up your hydration. So it is going to be nice and cool at the start. It's going to be amazing weather for the most part. It's going to heat up gradually throughout the morning. but. I think the tendency is when it's cold, even though it's gonna be sunny, you might think, oh, I, you know, it's cold out. I don't need to worry too much about hydration. The problem, you're at altitude, and even at 5,000 feet, it has an effect of just drying out, evaporative sweat. You might not even notice yourself sweating till you come into the finish line and you see all that salt on you. So I think for a lot of folks, really stay up on top of that hydration and nutrition early on. And you kind of should be doing that anyways if you haven't done that in your training run. This is the time to eat something every 20 to 30 minutes, get that gel down, get that carbohydrate, um, drinking fluids, um, whether you get your electrolytes in your fluids or you're taking electrolyte capsules, really making sure that you're getting your electrolytes and your hydration in because at altitude, even 5,000 feet, you dry out really quick. And that's one thing, too. Our air is very dry. If you haven't noticed that already, if you just got here. So dehydration happens and it sneaks up a lot quicker here. So that would be my advice. The other issue is going to be the perceived exertion. So those of you know, fancy exercise science uh, terms, but perceived exertion is how you feel while you're running. And you're going to feel like, gosh, I, you know, I'm trying to run a nine minute mile or I'm trying to run a seven minute mile. And it feels like I'm running, you know, 30 seconds faster than that. So if you think you're going to have your PR here, you might, and I I wouldn't say don't cut yourself short and don't go for that PR tomorrow, but do keep in mind you're running at 5,000 feet here, and it could have an influence on that perceived exertion and what you may want to achieve. So much like uh, those of you who've been to Chicago Marathon, anybody hit a hot Chicago or a hot Boston, those uh, shoulder seasons of fall or spring where you're not really thinking, I didn't know it was going to be 90 degrees out, Um, they canceled the Minneapolis... uh, Minneapolis twin marathon cities, yeah, yeah twin cities last weekend and yeah 90 degree temperatures so here it's going to be great but I think it's that perceived exertion just keep that in mind you're going to feel like you're working a little bit harder yeah whether you came from Nebraska or whether you came from the east coast and and
0: hydrating really starts the day before or even the week before a race too
2: yeah it's super important and we're early enough you know it's two fifteen, two thirty here um in the day so it's it's early enough to start you don't have to be guzzling water, but it's, it's a good idea rather than like hyper hydrating. Just make sure you're drinking something every hour through the rest of today. I know it means sometimes waking up in the middle of the night, having to go to the bathroom as ultramarathoners. Like we've tried all kinds of things. I used to have buddies that would actually try to hyper hydrate with an IV the night before. Again, this is not like, this is old school ultramarathoners who were like medical professionals and docs. And they were just like, Hey, what if I gave myself an IV the night before? The problem with that is you're constantly urinating, having to get rid of that water. So you want to be flushed and topped off hydration wise, but don't go overboard. It's kind of like the same thing with carbohydrate. You should have been carbo loading or or eating enough carbohydrate the weeks leading up to the event uh, and like the days leading up versus thinking, okay, if I just have that big pasta meal tonight, I'm good. I'm not saying don't eat carbohydrate tonight or don't eat your pasta, but the science behind it now has come a long ways. And it's like what you do a few days before the race, or the week before is just as important as the night before. So yeah, be hydrated. Drink ideally too tomorrow morning or tonight. Drinking something with some electrolytes too. Topping off your sodium and other electrolytes. Um, or eating salty foods. Uh, an old ultramarathoning trick too that we used to use. Like, go and have that Mexican meal tonight. Or go, it doesn't have to be pasta. Just make sure you're getting the rice, the corn tortillas, like something carbohydrate. The beans. But um, the saltiness of sometimes Mexican foods or other things actually helped. And when sometimes they do these little mini case studies and research studies, they'll be like, oh, well, I did a lot better when I ate Mexican food the night before. It wasn't the Mexican food. It was like the sodium content. So don't be afraid of sodium and electrolytes and saltiness right now the night before. In fact, that's a good thing. You don't have to tell me twice to eat Mexican food. I love that stuff. Scott, you've lived in Boulder
0: for 13 years. What brought you here and what do you love about Boulder?
2: I guess like Phil was saying, and I'll I'll be perfectly honest, I actually tried to avoid Boulder because I always heard how like, oh, Boulder's Boldier, it's like, you know, it's got this like People's Republic of Boulder feel to it. Like the people here kind of just want to keep it their own little thing. Um, And I've traveled and raced and hung out in all parts of Colorado, and then my wife, who was at the time uh, my girlfriend, was like, oh, you should come on this trip to Boulder. I'm like, I've never been to Boulder. So I literally had not come here until I think 2009 was my first time, and then I moved here in 2010, and I guess the real thing that brought me was the access to the trails, and the foothills here are amazing for training, and then also... The community around it. I had a bunch of buddies in their 20s. And when you're in your 30s trying to like remain psyched about training and racing, I was like, okay, it it would help to have some like 20 somethings around me to like be (laughs) motivated, to push me, to just get that extra ounce uh, that my 30 year old body and mind. Um, we're kind of like wavering on. And I think that's Boulder in a nutshell. Like, There's a lot of drawbacks, You know, there's a lot of things to complain about a place like this, but there's a lot of great things. And the access to the trails, the community here, um, although we're losing a lot of the young athletes, it seems like it just gets more and more expensive. Um, yeah. And it is such an amazing place to be. And I, it's almost like utopia. And I try to remind myself of like, okay, what was life like without all this access?
0: You've traveled all over the world. You were just in Chamonix at the UTMB, Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc. That's an outdoor paradise. You know, it's a runner's paradise for trail running. Would you say that Boulder is kind of like Chamonix, that it's kind of the running mecca for trail running, at least uh, in the U.S., or are there other places that are kind of in the ranking as well?
2: Well, I think there's elements, and this is where I'll kind of, like, go on my, you know, <laughs> I'll beg in my own city or my own town. Um, we don't have that, like acceptance of like events and I think this is uh, just to give Phil a plug because a lot of people try to do events like this and it's really hard to put on events so when you're running through Boulder tomorrow and you're from out of town like this does not happen very often and the fact that he got the race to start on Pearl Street and finish downtown is um, pretty incredible because we don't I guess that's what we're missing is we're missing we have the Boulder Boulder which of course has been going on for years but we don't have that marquee trail running event which should happen because I mean talk about the cool thing we could do, we got running on the trails for five, 10 miles, be back in town, run through town, get the town just hyped up, go back up into the hills. Um, we can't run organized events on our trails here. so. That's the only drawback. They're great for training. They're great for experiencing. Those of you who came to run the marathon but maybe wanted to get up on the trails hiking or are going to stick around, um, they're amazing. But I think that's what we're missing is that kind of like welcoming of events. And Phil has somehow opened the doors. I don't know. Maybe it's because his, his uh, East Coast New Yorker vibe was able to get things done. But it's pretty hard to do that. And I think that's kind of what we're missing to make kind of Boulder this trail running uh, Mecca is having our own marquee event um, for trail running. Yeah and having that um, around town. But yeah, it's, it's gradually shifting. Like I mentioned, it's getting more expensive so you don't see the athletes like, early in their careers when they're just scraping by, have six, seven roommates. Um, you just, it's hard to even do that these days. So I think that's what's tricky about this town as being a, a Mecca. But Chamonix is similar too. I mean, it's super expensive. Like all the good places, um, everyone wants to go there. Everyone wants to live there which is great, but we have, um, I think we're at that dilemma here in town. Like, do we go up and build like, you know, in the European model of like, let's make our city more dense. And then we have all this open space around us, which um, has been amazingly preserved in the thought that went into it. So it's great. We're in that dilemma though, again, of, like, where do we go from here? Have
0: any of you run an ultra marathon? Just out of curiosity. Anything longer than a marathon? Okay. Got a couple. Anybody want to run an ultra marathon? yeah okay all right there you go what advice would you give
2: people who are sort of looking over into the ultra world and getting curious about that i would say like some people think they have to do this perfect progression like oh i've got to i've got to run my 5 10k then i can move up to the half marathon the marathon then the 50k 50 mile kind of thing i ran my first marathon grandma's marathon back in duluth minnesota and a month later ran my first 50 mile so Wow. You can do it, um, and again, I, you know, maybe I had uh, some influence from some wild Minnesotan friends. But to be honest, I, I think my best advice is to like don't wait, um, unless you have an injury or something that you're like, oh, I'm not sure. I want to make sure I have the correct training for it. But I mean, if you can run a few steps or a few blocks, you can run an ultramarathon um, because ultramarathons are running and walking. And a lot of them call them like eating and drinking contests while running. So (laughs) you you just have to be able to eat and drink. You got to take care of your body. And I think that's the biggest thing, being in tune with your body. You got to have a really good mindset. So this is where you see folks who come from the military. You see folks who've survived like life-threatening situations or they've survived a chronic disease or mothers who've uh, had children. I mean, they're tough as nails and they've been through things mentally. And that sometimes to me is more important than like the perfect training progression. So I would say, yeah, don't wait for the perfect time. If there's an event that has you interested and there's whether some, it's something local, you're like, I've always wanted to travel here. I can get into this race, go for it. Don't wait for Western States to let you in to run hundred miles cause that's gonna take maybe 10 years. Uh, there's a lot of races now that are difficult to get into. And there's a lot, of, a lot more events out there for options. And I think, yeah, don't wait for the perfect race, unless it's just really important to you. I'd say, yeah, go for it. So after you finish the marathon tomorrow, you know, you got one month and then you can just run a 50 miler.
0: Go to ultra sign up and start looking. Hey, when it gets tough out there tomorrow, if you're doing a half or you're doing the full and it gets tough, you want to quit. Just remember Scott used to run 100 milers for fun. And you ran, in 24 hours, you set the 24-hour the record. How many
2: miles in a 24-hour period did you do? So I ran 165 miles. So essentially six and a half marathons over a 24-hour period. So um, essentially, it's 840-minute pace. That's bathroom breaks included. But otherwise was moving my legs forward somewhere on that course uh, for the 24 hours. Yeah, and it's all perspective. I think that's what's really cool about running. Um, there are people who run a lot faster. I've run a 238 marathon a couple times, but... I mean, that's a drop in the bucket compared to like the two hours, and a few, t- few minutes now and uh, two hours and less than that. Um, and it, look at the women's record just falling in the marathon. So I think there's a lot out there. So it's all perspective. And I think you just need to remind yourself when you're out there tomorrow, whether you're running your first 5K, your first half or your first marathon, you wanna be here. And I know there are a lot of times where you're just like, this sucks. <laughs> I could be at home watching the football game or something else. Um, That's normal, but try not to get locked into that mindset. We were talking about that earlier. Um, You you were mentioning mantras that go through your head, but I remember when I ran that 24-hour event, I had done a yoga class with uh, my yoga instructor, and his name was Big Bill, and he was like 6'6". I was like, if this guy can do yoga, I definitely can do yoga because I'm 6'2", and I'm like inflexible as can be. And he told me this one mantra in class one day. He's like, remember, this is what you came for. And those of you who've read my book, Eat and Run, know that I've got that quote in there. Like, I just repeated that over and over throughout. And it's like, you know, I was reminded of my mother who had just passed away um, and struggled with multiple sclerosis. So if you are out there struggling, you know, offer up and have an intention, have a mantra, have a reason to keep going when everything else seems to be crumbling apart. You've done those training runs, I know, or had those experiences in life where you just feel like, I don't want to keep going. This sucks. Um, But it's like, really drawing on that strength and finding any ounce of like hope or reason to keep going. And once you grab onto that, there'll be a way, there'll be some breakthrough that'll happen where you're going to start feeling great again, and you're going to start finding a way. Now, of course, if you're not eating and drinking and you you let your body fall apart, um, it's going to be a lot harder. And there'll be times where those uphills will feel like, you know, vertical, straight up, and just find a way through that stuff. It's not going to be forever. So those, those things are just temporary. As my one cross-country uh, ski coach once said, pain only hurts. So uh, I'm not a believer in running through all types of pain. Like some pain, it's, it's good to stop or take it easy if you're bone-on-bone osteoarthritis or something like that. But remember that discomfort is temporary and you're going to find a way through. Be smart out there, but grind away, get through it.
0: That's right. It's a beautiful struggle. I got through my first marathon uh, years ago by telling myself, don't let your wife think you're a wimp.
2: That's what worked for me. Is she faster you. than you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah that was good. I've seen her times, so and I was like, wow, she's, uh, she's fast. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, in just a minute, you're going to hear questions from the audience. This would be a good time to jump in and thank our sponsor, Prevenex, makers of Joint Health Plus. It's so cool we keep getting reviews from listeners who have tried Joint Health Plus and have benefited from it. So here's one that was sent over recently from Matthew.
1: Yeah, it says, I've been training for a half marathon, and i would begun to experience bad knee pain, which I suspected to be runner's knee. After the first week with Prevanex and regular strength training added to my routine, my knee was feeling good enough to start short, easy runs again. And after a month, I'm back to regular running with an easier pace, and the pain in my knee has definitely reduced.
0: Yeah, so we love to hear that. In fact, Prevenex is so confident in Joint Health Plus, if you don't see a reduction in your joint pain or your joint stiffness in 30 days, they will refund your money. In fact, you'll probably see results quicker than that. The main active ingredients in Joint Health Plus are actually clinically proven to reduce your joint pain in just 7 to 10 days.
1: There's few things more disappointing in your training when you start to have joint problems like Matthew was talking about. And sometimes it can totally take you out of training and even advance into a full-blown injury. So I'm really glad that he was able to try Joint Health Plus and have such a good experience.
0: Hey, if you want to give it a try, you can get 15% off with our code MTA. Do your joints a favor. Go over to prevenex.com, Look for Joint Health Plus. They got a lot of great stuff over there. prevenex.com. Use the code MTA for 15% off. Thanks also to our sponsor, UCAN. Uh, UCAN was a big partner of the Boulder-thon this year. And Angie, they had edge gels out on the course. So it was really cool to to not have to carry my personal edge gels and just be able to use the free ones that they were handing out.
1: (laughs) That is awesome. And a lot of even the top marathon runners that were at Chicago, like Emily Sisson and Emma Bates, uh, Kira D'Amato ran the 5K. They are all big users of UCAN and this stuff works great for the everyday runner all the way up to the elites. Um, It's amazing stuff. I know personally back in the day over 10 years ago when I was using regular fueling products and gels and just you know on that kind of roller coaster of the blood sugar spike and then the crash and trying to like get your fueling dialed in it was really hard to do that without having stomach distress. UCAN is just amazing because it helps you utilize the steady release carbs instead of sugar and keeps your energy on a nice steady level and is very gentle on the stomach as well.
0: Yeah, the edge gels work fantastic. And if you want to give them a try, you can get six edge gels for free. Just pay shipping. Go to UCAN.co slash MTA. And if you just want to reorder, you can always save 20% with our code MTA. That's UCAN.co slash MTA. Okay, well, if you have a question for the man here, Scott Jurek, uh, we're going to pass a mic around. My friend Marcus here has a mic. Raise your hand if you have a question.
1: Hi, uh, I've read your books, so cool to see you in person, Scott. I guess uh, my thing is I'm kind of a novice runner and I'm bad at stretching. So if you have recommendations for like a five minute warm up, cool down, like what do you do for stretching? Because And how important is it prior to and after? a race or if you get a cramp during a race. Thanks. It's
2: a good question. I think with stretching, it's kind of gone up and down over the years in research. Like people, you say, oh, stretching doesn't improve your performance. You know, runners, we don't need to have the flexibility of a gymnast or somebody who's doing aerials on a snowboard or acrobatic, very dynamic sports. But It helps when you have certain problem areas or you know, like, hey, I have this imbalance that's been going on for years, say, from a prior injury or a different sport or what you do at work. So I think it's important to pay attention to those things, most importantly. I've been a big fan of yoga over the years, and it's not just because of the stretching. It's because of the body-mind connection and balance, body awareness. Um, There is some flexibility involved in it. Um, I did a series actually last year that came out with Apple Fitness Plus, and it's like the, basically what you want, the hack for the runner who only wants to spend six minutes and do six-minute routines. And I prefer to stretch after runs. So I think with stretching, unless you're doing like a full dynamic warm-up, and this is where like if you're doing speed work or doing some intensity, I do recommend that you do some kind of dynamic warm-up, and that can incorporate some more active stretching but I would say definitely post-workout or any time in the day. And it's more because of the postures. Here I am sitting in a chair. It's because we do this a lot of our day and not because running, we need a lot of flexibility. So I feel like it's our outside of running things that cause problems or our past injuries or our our problem areas, our tightness areas. So um, you could check out that through Apple Fitness Plus. It's a a really good series. and, And you get to be along there with me wobbling. And I'm not like the best at yoga. I'm like a person that needs like four blocks, three pillows, like all the bolsters, all the extras because I'm just so inflexible. But I work at it and I think that's the key thing is don't worry about being super flexible how much more balanced and body awareness can you have? And I think that's what yoga has taught me too. And then the connection with breath and uh, mentally, it's helped my, my running a lot too. So it could be through that form or another form of stretching I've done over the years is called active isolated stretching, AIS. And that's been really helpful too because it's two second holds and you do repetitions of five to 10 reps. And it's quick and easy. So you can run through like your hamstrings, your quad, your calves, like the problem areas that runners typically get tight in. So yeah. Would I spend um, 30 minutes a day stretching if I were a runner? No. So I will tell you this, and I'm a physical therapist, have been one for years, um, have a background in that. I would say that it's best to probably focus more on strengthening if I were going to put more time throughout the day. Runners are notoriously weak in a lot of areas. So I think some flexibility, some stretching, but focus on your strengthening. And particularly your hips, your glutes, quads, you'd be surprised. A lot of runners are weak in certain areas where you're like, oh, they got to be super strong. So do some stretching, but if you're really wanting to improve your performance, strengthening is where you're going to see the biggest improvement.
0: Wow, good stuff. Did you write all that down? I hope you wrote all that down. Okay. We have We're going to record it. How many of you have, you've dealt with a running
2: injury before?
0: Okay. But if you're, you're not
2: raising your hand, you're lying to us because we, <laughs> we all have some type of injury, I feel like, but there might, some of you might be lucky. We know the statistics.
0: <laughs>
2: okay. Another question.
1: Um, I also want to say I enjoyed reading your book. Um, my question would be heat versus cold. Which one do you suggest or prefer?
2: Heat versus cold is the question. It's a million dollar question. Um, I actually say both, and I'm a big fan of contrast. So cold essentially and there's a lot of debate on this. There's, you can find research studies that say don't ice an injury because you actually want that inflammation to keep that inflammatory process going. Like your body is naturally trying to heal. Um, icing initially is more for, um, analgesic effect or basically pain numbing effect. So sometimes that can help. It can sometimes help the swelling around an area where it's harder to move or it's harder to say splint something or, you know, cause that swelling to kind of come down, but you're not trying to impede the inflammatory process. So I'm a big fan of ice baths. Cold therapy uh, I think is pretty phenomenal. Maybe because I grew up in Northern Minnesota and it was always cold and we always had ice and snow around us, but there's some really fascinating stuff on anti-aging recovery for like cold soaks, like full submersion kind of things. And I think that's quite fascinating. I've always been a big fan of like jumping in cold water, icing the legs after a workout in ice water. But the research is kind of like out on that for performance and muscle soreness. But I always seem to like respond really well to it. So when it comes to heat, I'm a big fan of, you know, doing things, whether it's sauna or like general body recovery stuff. And then um, I just got back from Japan a couple months, a month and a half ago, and onsen, the hot baths are, you know, amazing over there and just... There's a lot of, I think, new research that's gonna be coming out on just the effects of that and how important. So I think there are times for the hot, sometimes for the cold. Um, There's times when heating up a muscle or an area can be very effective, particularly if you're trying to deal with scar tissue or it's an injury you're coming back from. So it really depends on the situation, but I'm a fan of both of them. I just try to implement certain times when I'm like, okay, I know I need to probably heat this up. It's just like, why do we wear tights or compression? over an area because we want to keep that area warm. And uh, I think we're learning from, like, the Asians have always been using tights and, like, compression. And then Europeans have been big into it. So I think there's benefits there. It's just a matter of, like, implementing in the right situation. I think that's where the research sometimes gets things wrong because everyone's like, oh, we shouldn't do cold soaks now after ice ice baths after workouts. Um, I still think there's some benefit. It's just like when you implement that and what the research is showing. Because yeah. is it making you faster on race day, the next day, or the workout? It doesn't always show in the research, but does it have an effect that might help two days from now, who knows? I'm a fan of ice baths. I'm just not a fan of taking ice baths. <laughs> yeah, and it's hard to get in. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> those first, like, minute and, and a half, two minutes. Like. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky thing, for All sure. All right, great question. We have another one. Yeah. Sorry, former English. You were telling about making the legs stronger. Do you think that one can improve my speed? I'm, I'm 51 years old and I've done close to 30 marathons and I'm going slower and slower in each one. I feel like a lot of pain in the hips and so I have to go like short uh, pace. Do you think if I do a lot of workout on the legs I might get speed a little so- bit again? <laughs> Yeah, so the question is, he's 51, I think he said? Or, yeah, 51. And you're the perfect candidate. Um, and anybody actually over 25, 30 years old, basically somewhere around 20 to 25, we actually start to lose our strength. So if you don't do anything to maintain your body strength or improve upon it, you actually become weaker. So literally, it's pretty quick. So in your 20s, so by the time you get to your 30s, 40s, and 50s, you you haven't done much strengthening, and a runners think, oh, my legs are strong, I don't need to do anything. And when you're describing your stride and the dynamic part of it, you're just kind of feeling like your body's stiffening up. It's probably that combo of that flexibility, agility, strength component, and you'd be the perfect candidate to do some strengthening. And that's where runners, I think, sometimes ignore... Their legs. Um, we know, like, oh, core strengthening is important, but we sometimes think, oh, I don't need to do my legs because I'm running with them all the time. But anybody in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, you can improve your strength. And so, sometimes the cardio, you know, your speed is going to diminish over time. There's no doubt about that. I'm, I wish I had the fountain of youth. I'm I'm turning 50 this coming month. And uh, I wish I could say, like, it's harder to run those faster times on the track or the speed workouts or those shorter races, but you can still work on it. And I think the magic or one of the magic bullets is working on your strength um, and your ability to stride in that neuromuscular firing that you sometimes can just kind of, again, posture, all of those elements. So that's where I think the things like yoga, strengthening, um, it's the supplemental training. So... Yes, you should do your speed work still, but think about maybe adding some supplemental training, like dedicate another hour per week if you don't do anything right now. And then like maybe cut one of those running workouts and, and do some strengthening and, and agility and working on that neuromuscular firing. Because yeah, it's pretty key. And you can, it's amazing as a physical therapist, 90 year olds, you can work on their strength. Like I was amazed, like even hundred years old, you'd work with them in physical therapy in a nursing home. And you might think, oh, I'm too old. Like you can improve strength at any point in your life. Whereas speed... And your cardio, those are trickier things to like say, like, are you gonna have the same VO2 max as you were in your twenties? Probably not, but you can maybe work on diminishing that by other aspects of your running economy. So running economy is how efficient you are on the run. I think that's where the most advances will happen too. Like we're seeing more in sport watches and measurements of like, you know, ground reaction time and how long you're spending on the ground. Those are the things to look at. So work on your stride rate and your your ground contact time is one of the the biggest things too. All right, excellent, who's got the mic? Um, Be curious to get your thoughts on forefoot striking and then just the rise of how much cushion are now in shoes and those kind of seemingly contrasting things. Yeah, it's a good question. So um, heel striking, forefoot striking, midfoot striking, it's it's interesting because when Born to Run came out, everybody was talking about barefoot running, lowering the stack height, basically the, the profile of the shoe. So you drop the shoe down, more minimal shoes, um, running barefoot. All these things were more in vogue. And I think the trend was in a good direction. Um, now we know about carbon plates and all these things. Like There's advantages to them. So it's like, how can you still keep, I guess, that lower profile while still benefiting from some of these advances in shoe technology. And then you have the, what we call, I don't know, the high-tech foams, whatever you want to put that label on, but the the EVAs and the the foams that they're using now in running shoes have tended to increase that stack height. Um, But now you're seeing that drop more, you know, the brands that have been so much, you know, proponents of like stack heights and, oh, you got to have more of that foam. Now they're bringing them down because the elite athletes don't want that. And know that they may, don't need as much as somebody, say, who's getting through a hip injury or who has bone on bone but doesn't want to get a hip replacement yet. So I, I think it depends on the individual and it depends on the distance you're running. So it really depends. But if you're going to run an 800 or you're going to run a 1500, you're going to be on your forefoot the whole time or you're going to get smoked. So. If you're somebody who's running for fitness and trying to break PRs and trying to make advancements and you're running marathons, I would say midfoot is probably the best place to be. Like you don't want to be heel striking, may not want to be fully on your forefoot, just in that midfoot range. So I think as a whole, if I were to recommend like one way to run in terms of foot placement and foot strike, I would say midfoot would probably be the most, except for those times when you're really ripping. On the track you're going to be running more forefoot because that's naturally a quicker technique or a quicker way to run what are you running least, in I think. these days scott i mean if i were to mention i run for brooks i'll be honest like i'm, I'm partial for sure i've been running with them for over 20 years um, on the trails i'm running in currently um, the catamount is my shoe of choice so i'm the catamount 2 When it comes to the roads, um, I run a little bit of everything. I run them on the launch. I have, of course, tried the carbon plate shoes, um, HP twos, you know, um, Hyperion Elites, you know, doing those. I think the biggest thing for selecting a shoe is it's a matter of like, what do you need? What are your personal preferences? Are you somebody who prefers a more cushioned ride, or are you willing, it sounds like, you know, to like he had the question like maybe go I, I just tend to be a little bit more lower profile I think it's just a matter of like personal preference but I like to run a little mix of everything but my personal preference would be a, a lower profile shoe for sure I love that more natural low to the ground feel high profile man low profile shoe <laughs> yeah I guess I don't know I'm not that <laughs> high profile I think sometimes.
0: <laughs> great great questions man we're getting in the nuts and bolts of a lot of good stuff here I think we have time for a couple, more, a couple out there. more. If you got a question for the man, Scott Jurek, ask anything. Hey, uh, so
2: around mile 20, a lot of people hit the wall. So what's your advice for getting through the wall? My first line of advice, so I mentioned if you, if you just got here, I mentioned a little bit like mantras and you know relying on experience because I think that's important, like getting through whatever, however you got through that in your long training runs. But um, one of the biggest things is um, if you've hit the wall, it can be a neuromuscular fatigue kind of thing. But in general, most time people, if they haven't been getting enough carbohydrate in, that's when they've hit the wall. And if you hit the wall super hard and you're super depleted in your glucose, Anybody seen stars or hallucinated or had experiences like that? Yeah, he's racing, halfway racing his hand, I see some people. But that's usually a case of carbohydrate. If you're seeing stars, neuromuscularly, your brain is not firing, you're just not getting enough carbohydrates. So rather than how do you deal with hitting the wall at mile 20, don't let the wall happen at mile 20. Those of you, and I know it's easier said than done, but when you're out there tomorrow, um, part of it is pacing. So if it's the muscular fatigue thing, you went out way too hard. The bigger issue, though, a lot of times is that carbohydrate. So every half hour, make sure you're getting down a gel, like somewhere between 15, 20 grams. Those of you who are larger individuals, I'm 6'2", 165, 170 pounds. I need to take like a full 25 grams of carbohydrate. So and if you're somebody who's bigger than that, like it's really body size based. So don't eat like your 120 pound training friend or your partner, make sure you're getting enough carbohydrate and doing that every 20 to 30 minutes. So you really want to think about getting that in right off the get go, like at the start or just before the start and then 20 minutes in or 30 minutes in, you're hitting that constantly all the way through because that's where you're going to like nip that 20 mile-ish wall. Um, the going too fast part, again, and that's strategy. So being smart, because if it is fatigue, that could be the issue. And then the other might be hydration and electrolytes. And then sometimes it's just like mentally, like you're just in that funk, having run 20 some miles and you just like, ah, I just don't feel I can keep it going. And those are the times, the mantras, the tricks you play in your mind, um, ways of getting through, like find a find a reason to offer up your pain and suffering to something and somebody else, like pray to somebody, I don't know. Just like anything that you can do, because sometimes it's not remedied with like, eating more, drinking more, electrolytes. Um, Sometimes it just happens where, yeah, it's just mentally a tough place to be, especially if you've never been there before. So you've been there before, so you can get through it. I know you can. A good playlist might be able to help too. Music is like, I think there's been several research studies looking at, it can be as powerful as ibuprofen. So... Put that music in versus ibuprofen ibuprofen will torch your kidneys possibly like i'm not a medical doctor but i've had friends who've taken way too many ibuprofen they popped like 20 some in an ultra for 100 miles just dangerous stuff i've seen people do things in marathons too that just don't make sense like popping two every hour i'm just like crazy even for four hours don't do it if you're having pain that is impeding your running you either shouldn't be at the start line or embrace that pain but i think Taking ibuprofen while competing in the heat or longer endurance events is not a good plan. Um, why do we run? We're running to experience this really deep down, getting through, grinding through things. And if you're taking ibuprofen, you're kind of cheating yourself with that experience, I think.
0: Vitamin M, music. How many of you run with music? You're going to be listening to music tomorrow. All right. Let's try to guess what type of music Scott likes. I have no idea. How many think he looks like a classic rock kind of guy? Classic rock. How about a heavy metal? He's straight liquid death, heavy metal kind of guy. Uh, gangster rap, okay. <laughs> classical, he, maybe a classical, he's a sophisticated
2: guy. Maybe he's a classical music. Country, what else is there? Taylor Swift, all right Scott, what is this? I mean, so here's the thing with music. Everything and all of the above. I like angry music, like Rage Against the Machine, heavy metal, I'm, I'm from Northern Minnesota. We were all about like country and heavy metal and classic rock of course. But I listen to it all, and I think there are the times where, yeah, the beat of, you know, a good hip-hop, like, gangster tunes are awesome. I think there's times when I've even done chanting, and I know this sounds crazy, but my yoga, when I was really doing yoga, like, three, four times a week, I don't know anybody know Krishna Das, like, he's basically does kirtan, and, like, the chanting would just really get my legs into a rhythm, and I know it sounds crazy, but, like, drumming trance, I've done it all and I think there's certain times for everything and sometimes it's good too to keep the music off for the first hour of your run. My wife jokes that her legs stop working when she doesn't have her music so She's tried to save it for the second half, so she really feels like, okay, now I'm going to get my music. So um, play around with different, yeah, playlists where at different points, you're going to need different music. And you never know what that's going to be, but I've used a whole mix of it. And yeah, it's, I've had some mellow stuff. I haven't done straight-up classical or my kids' music. That's like, yeah, the, the four-year-old preschool or five-year-old preschool music isn't probably the best uh, jams, but... Well, we have dove into a lot of great
0: topics. Thank you, everyone uh, who asked the question, everyone who stayed and listened. There's another session coming up at 3 o'clock, so we're going to vacate the stage. Let's all give it up for Scott Jurek.
2: Thank you, everyone, and uh, have a great race out tomorrow. It's going to be amazing weather. Um, Enjoy Boulder. If this is your first time here, welcome. Remember your strategy. Stick to it. Eat, drink. Get your electrolytes in. And then just grind away later in the race and uh, enjoy Mapleton Mile as uh, Phil calls it. All right, you guys. Thanks, have Trevor. Takes. It's been awesome uh, you, being Scott. up here on the stage. Thanks. Likewise.
0: All right. Well, always fun to do a live session. You know, we record the podcast ninety nine percent of the time right here in my secret basement podcast studio, also known as my office also called the place where I go to procrastinate.
1: <laughs> a lot goes on here, huh?
0: <laughs> a lot goes on and doesn't go on. No, but it's it's fun to do a live event, and I'll be doing another one at the Richmond Marathon, hopefully, if everything works out. So thanks again to the folks at BoulderThon for making this possible, and thanks again to Scott for providing such great value to all the folks that were listening and for being such an inspiring dude.
1: So you ran the half marathon, Trevor. Uh, real quick, how did that go, and were you able to do any other fun things in the Boulder area?
0: Yeah, so the next day I got up and the hotel that they put me in was actually within walking distance to the start line. So I walked a start line and I saw a VIP tent and then I realized I actually had a VIP bib.
1: What? <laughs> you were a VIP.
0: I know. First time ever I've gone to a VIP tent. It was cool. There was like bagels and coffee and bananas, and they had their own porta pots Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Then I just, yeah, ran the half marathon, took it easy, enjoyed the course. We started in downtown Boulder and then went out kind of outside of the city, along country roads, ran by all these beautiful properties, little ranchettes. I thought the course was really nice. And we actually ran over, I don't remember it, but we ran over some railroad tracks and Phil, the race director, was telling me that just to do that, to have a race go over railroad tracks, he had to get a Permit, pay several thousand dollars and get a permit from BSNF, the railroad company, just to have that happen.
1: Several thousand dollars every year? Yeah. That's crazy. Well, you've
0: heard of those races, right? I think it just happened recently where a train stopped uh, the runners and people had to wait on a train.
1: Like six minutes or something.
0: I mentioned that to him. He's like, yeah, that's why we had to get a permit.
1: Does it guarantee a train won't come during that time?
0: I guess so. (laughs) There's a lot that goes into a race. Yeah. So the next day I got up and I drove up to Estes Park, sort of the gateway to the Rocky Mountain National Park, and then over across the mountains down to this little town called Niederland, which was named by Dutch settlers. It's just so refreshing to be in the mountains.
1: Yeah, great energy there.
0: I think a lot of people who came from out of state to the Boulderthon had other stuff that they were going to do. Like I, I talked to a few listeners who were going up to Breckenridge. If you like to do run and combine a trip with running a, a marathon or half, check out Boulderthon for next year. It'll be on Labor Day. Oh, and the medal's beautiful, too. Look at that medal over there, Angie.
1: Yeah, mountains, the city. Very nicely done.
0: I'm a connoisseur of fine medals.
1: All medals are produced with 100% recycled materials. Very nice. Well,
0: I like it Bet even better. you didn't better. even read that. <laughs> I didn't even look at the back of it. <laughs> So that's it for this episode. Thanks for being a listener. And of course, if you want to connect with us, you can find us on our website, marathontrainingacademy.com. Send us a message uh, if you want. We've got a contact form over there. We'd be happy to help you out, answer any questions you have about training, get you connected with a coach. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Marathon Academy. Until next time, remember you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life.
2: Well on my way, Well on my way.